Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast hosted by Dr. Susanna Greer. I'm Joe Cotter. More than 1.8 million people in the United States are projected to get cancer this year. Can you imagine, on top of everything else that's happened in 2020, receiving a cancer diagnosis? 1.8 million new cancer cases. So what does that mean? Well, for one thing, it means there are going to be a lot of new cancer survivors. And the thing is, not all cancer survivors are the same. A 50-year-old with diabetes is different than a single mom with kids, is different than an older adult with no family living nearby, is different than someone who doesn't speak English very well. You know what I mean? They have different health care needs, different circumstances, different insurance plans. And so their cancer survivorship experience is different. My colleague Corinne Leach joined the podcast to talk about how we should bring personalized follow-up survivorship care to everyone with a history of cancer that's at an appropriate level based on need, that's high quality and equitable, that's efficient and sustainable for the healthcare system, and that leads to positive outcomes for all individuals with a history of cancer. Some of the conversation was based on a new paper that she was lead author on. It, it detailed how an expert panel generated consensus research priorities for advancing personalized cancer su survivorship care in the U.S. Very cool. Dr. Leach also helped develop Springboard Beyond Cancer. It's an online tool. Uh, it was launched through a collaboration between the American Cancer Society and the National Cancer Institute. It's a really easy-to-use resource that helps cancer survivors all different kinds of cancer survivors, address their unique medical, psychosocial, and wellness needs during and after treatment. You can check it out at survivorship.cancer.gov. All right, so let's get into it now. Dr. Corinne Leach, Senior Principal Scientist in the American Cancer Society's Population Science Team, and Dr. Susanna Greer on personalized follow-up survivorship care. Hi, Corinne. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing better than I deserve, and I am so excited to have the opportunity to talk to you today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a very different venue than we usually have to talk about the work we do. So I'm excited to have this discussion with you today. All right, well, let's dive on in. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about one area of expertise you have. Um, but let's give our listeners a little bit of a background. You have had a long-standing interest in the experience of one particular group of cancer patients and survivors, and we would categorize those broadly as older cancer survivors. So I'd like for you to level set with us a little bit. Perhaps you can help us to understand what that term means, and then I think it'd be interesting to share with our audience what in particular drives your interest in this population. Sure, it's a, it's a great place to start. Um, so when I talk about older cancer survivors, these are typically individuals who are age 65 and older with a history of cancer. And a cancer survivor, as ACS uses that term, is from the point of diagnosis forward. Um, we also do a lot in post-treatment survivorship, but cancer survivor itself is from the point of diagnosis forward. And how I became interested in this area really stems from having kind of the perfect case study growing up. So I had two sets of grandparents, my maternal and paternal grandparents, who were very, very different from one another. 
Um, they had some similarities. Both grandfathers um, served our country in the Navy. Um, both sets of grandparents were, were very loving and hardworking. But one set of grandparents kind of had this case study of um, health behaviors over time and how that impacted their health over time. So um, my, my maternal grandparents were highly educated. Um, they, they both worked and they were very physically active, um, ate very healthy, and they didn't smoke. And on the other side of the spectrum were my paternal grandparents who both smoked who were not physically active, who had, um, my grandfather in particular had occupational hazards, so he worked in steel mills, and, and how, what their health looked like over time was dramatically different from one another um, in terms of the chronic conditions that they had that accumulated over time, and in terms of how old they lived. My maternal grandparents lived into their 90s, my grandfather until his mid-90s, but then my paternal grandparents only lived to 73 and 83. And so it really was showing the impact of health behaviors over our life course and how much that impacts our quality of life and our quantity of life. And then um, in terms of cancer, my grandfather, when I was starting my postdoctoral program at the National Cancer Institute, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he had many different chronic conditions. This was my paternal grandfather. And there was a lack of appropriate shared decision-making around treatment options and he was over-treated. His cancer had metastasized yet they kept putting him through all of these different surgeries and radiation treatments. And and that was really upsetting and confusing when he passed very quickly that the rest of the family didn't even know the cancer had metastasized. So I think both of those experiences really made me very interested in the unique experiences of older survivors and how we can improve their entire cancer continuum experience and better support older survivors. Oh, wow. What a interesting kind of familial history that you've driven to a career and career focus. So thank you for sharing that. That really personalizes not only your story, but also your, your area of interest. So I want to kind of pivot off one of the things that you mentioned, and that is perhaps the experience that your paternal grandfather who had lung cancer and you indicated was overtreated. Um, it sounds like you and your family had some real formative experiences through your grandfather being introduced to this population of older cancer survivors. I'm, I'm wondering if some of the things that your family experienced and that your grandfather experienced if there are characteristics that you can see that relate to this entire population that maybe make these types of cancer survivors unique? Most definitely, Susanna. So many older cancer survivors have more complex health profiles. They have a higher number of comorbid or co-occurring chronic conditions such as arthritis and diabetes and heart disease. And, and a, a big struggle with the field is that 
these these cancer older cancer survivors in general are very underrepresented in clinical trials. Those who have any chronic conditions, let alone multiple chronic conditions and an older age, are not represented almost at all in clinical trials, especially for treatment. So when it comes to geriatric oncologists trying to make the, the best decisions for their patients, they don't have the data on what is the best dose, what are the potential toxicities they're going to face. And so they're making the best decisions for their patients with the limited amount of data that they have, but more research that's inclusive is needed. The Cancer and Aging Research Group that I'm a part of has made this a priority in making clinical trials, especially when it comes to cancer treatments, um, but also things like physical activity interventions be much more inclusive in terms of comorbid conditions and um, in age. Now, that's really interesting. So just to help us get kind of the full picture, maybe let's branch out into kind of the final area I'd like to touch on just to give us kind of a good background. And that is so health behavior. So one of the things that you shared with us is that it's really important for an oncology team to understand where you were maybe in that mental space um, before your diagnosis that may be indicative of where you'll be afterwards. And so you mentioned depression. So let's relate that now to health behaviors. Are When we think about older cancer survivors, um, what are you thinking about as far as health behaviors and are there behaviors maybe that are specific to this population? And I'm, I'm thinking back to the story that you shared of your grandfather who had perhaps differences or, or one, one set of grandparents versus the other that had uh, differences in diet, exercise, things like that. So maybe help, help us set the stage for our understanding there. Sure. So while things like smoking, physical activity, um, nutrition are important for all cancer survivors, I would say for older survivors, physical activity and especially strength training, that's a part of the ACS physical activity recommendations is for strength training at least twice a week. And that's because while you're going through treatment and post-treatment, you can be at higher risk of losing lean muscle mass. And as we age, we're also at risk of losing lean muscle mass. And so it's extra important for older survivors to include at a minimum twice weekly strength training, which are in our ACS physical activity guidelines and recommendations because survivors are at risk of losing that lean muscle mass. And that's in addition to your aerobic activity. And many different physical activity interventions have demonstrated the impact of physical activity on fatigue, on cancer-related fatigue. And it, it is our best intervention that we have for fatigue at this time. And that's during and after treatment. Now, all survivors, while they're going through treatment, should be discussing with their healthcare providers what is a good level of activity. Um, and, and it may range depending on the type of treatment you're going through, what your physical activity level was like before you started your treatment. And so it, it can be very individualized, but overall the message is move more, sit less, and, um, 
and include some strength training, whether it's even with bands or resistance in a swimming pool, for example. I know that that helps my mom who has uh, lymphoma right now, a very rare, unique type of lymphoma, and, and she loves being in the water. So that can be a really great way for her to get some physical activity that's something that jives with what she enjoys doing, which is, I'd say, the most important part about any physical activity program is find something you actually like doing. What I am hearing is such an interesting story because it is complicated. I mean, you shared with us that older cancer survivors are in a unique space. When we think about research, you indicated us to us that they have potentially lots of complex health issues, more so than if we might think about other populations. They perhaps have not been a concentrated population that's been able to participate in clinical trials. And then you laid out for us that the psychosocial picture, while it may be similar to other patients, it really has to do on your life history, which is clearly going to be longer, the longer that, that we have, that we've been here. And then you laid out that there are different health behaviors that we would really like to emphasize for this survivor group. So all of this, all of this is complicated. Um, so I imagine that this has driven your interest in enhancing research in this space. And I want to talk to you about a recent study that you were the lead author on. The study summarized an expert panel's research priorities for really advancing survivorship of this group. The term that's used in this paper is personalized survivorship. So help us to understand, what does that mean? What is personalized survivorship? And maybe help us to tie it into to this population and to, to all those things that we've discussed, challenges in research, challenges in understanding psychosocial issues, and then challenges in health behavior. Sounds like there's a huge need here. I think you're spot on about kind of the complicated nature of this work. And um, I think what we were able to highlight is that not all survivors are the same. And that also means that not all survivors need the same level of sometimes high touch expensive care when, especially in the post-treatment phase, there's a lot they can do to manage some of their related issues um, in their own primary care clinics, um, by working with family nurse practitioners, uh, through appropriate referrals to specific issues they may be facing, such as um, if they're having some cognitive and memory issues, uh, something like cognitive rehabilitation, and personalizing survivorship care with the goal of tailoring to one's level of need requires flexibility in where and how care is provided rather than always in a clinical setting. And this also can help shift resources to better reach medically vulnerable survivors who oftentimes are not receiving the level and the quality of equitable care that they actually do need. Um, those who have more of the chronic conditions that complicate their care, um, that complicate their post-treatment care too, um, these are ongoing issues that many survivors are facing, 
but but aren't receiving the level of care that they need because in some ways the health system is clogged with so many survivors receiving high levels of care. And oftentimes it's those who are have the biggest voices who receive the highest amount of care, yet many times those are the survivors who need lower levels of care. And so it's, it is quite complicated. But I would say the more we can provide timely referrals and kind of be able to develop models that predict some of the issues that may stem from certain certain cancer treatments, such as cardiotoxicities, to make sure there's timely referral to cardiologists, oftentimes before any issues come up, that is, that is essential. That's an essential part of post-treatment survivorship care. I love the analogy that you shared about decreasing the clog, because I think we can all think about if we had a, a clog in our sink and it, it came from us, you know, perhaps, <laughs> well, me recently trying to put shrimp shells down my garbage disposal was not the best idea. So I had all these things rushing into the sink and nothing nothing came through. So in a similar vein, what you shared with us is that for older cancer survivors, they in our current system many times may all be rushing towards the same interventions when one of the things that you so nicely shared is that that high touch care to use your vocabulary, which I really love, may translate to over treatment, may contribute to the clog, where if we were able to tailor the level of care and perhaps before you rush to that clog, really enable understanding of what patients need what level of intervention, we could allow the ones the patients that flow through and need that high treatment care, which as you so astutely said, maybe the ones who don't have the loudest voices and the most resources, they may be able to more easily flow through the system and get the care they needed. So this is an exciting area of research. I'm really interested to know, are there priorities maybe would be a good way to put it from this study that you are excited about? I think there's kind of a broad answer and then a more specific answer that most relates to my area of research. So broadly, I'm most excited about having this consensus-based research priority list, which can help many extramural researchers, as well as researchers at ACS, strategically work to answer all of these pieces to the puzzle. Because as I've described, it's super complicated and we need to attack this from all angles. Like ACS talks all the time about attacking cancer from all angles. This personalized survivorship care pathway approach is going to need that same differing perspectives. People looking at it from the healthcare perspective, from the patient perspective, from the oncology perspective. How do we de-implement certain pieces of healthcare, but then how do we also incentivize healthcare systems, incentivize oncologists to shift their care in a way that's new, that's different, but is actually going to benefit the survivor population and in an equitable way where survivors all receive quality care. That's the overall goal. 
And so this is broadly why I'm, I'm excited about this paper that just came out in JNCI because we're able to provide all these missing pieces of the puzzle in one document. So hopefully researchers can, can you know, focus and, and, and work to answer those pieces of the puzzle. Now in a more specific way, I'm most excited about the technology and infrastructure needed to support self-management. That was a major finding of this, that if we're going to be successful in shifting care to this more personalized approach, then we need free, comprehensive, trustworthy self-management tools where if you're a survivor and you're having issues with sleep, for example, there's a tool you can go to that can help you any time of the day. If it's in the middle of the night and you need something to help you figure out how to improve your sleep quality, it can be there for you. It's not, it's basically at point of need rather than point of care. And that's how sometimes we talk about it in the survivorship world. And so we need these trustworthy resources for self-management that empower survivors to manage their own health, to take back control of their own health, that that base level of support is needed. And within that is also the timely referrals. So this is an area I work in, in developing self-management tools for survival, for um, cancer survivors in a way that's digital. And so it has a very broad reach to reach survivors at any time in any place, as long as they have access to the internet or a, a smartphone. And so that is definitely in an area that I'm most excited about. So I think that's so enlightening, first of all, to hear that we're really putting together pieces of this really complicated puzzle. And I love hearing that one of these pieces that you are super excited about is technology. So if we're going to enable this population to really play a actually a pretty pivotal role in their survivorship, they need tools to do that. And I I love the way that you shared them as tools that are trustworthy, that are available always. So when you need them, um, we'll certainly share resources for listeners on the podcast, but I think we'd all love to hear a little more. Are there specific tools that you would like to share with us that you would certainly recommend to survivors? Yes, there's there's one tool in particular called Springboard Beyond Cancer, and I think you'll provide the link. Um, it's survivorship.cancer.gov. And this was a joint venture with the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society to develop a comprehensive tool for survivors. And this is for those who are going through treatment as well as those who are post-treatment to better manage many of the different um, cancer-related issues that they face. So this ranges from physical symptoms of um, anything ranging from fatigue to um, frequent infections to nausea, and then also the emotional types of issues too that many survivors face, whether it's fear of recurrence or fear of the cancer coming back or mindfulness training to help with relaxation. We also have many modules about 
different health behaviors, so physical activity and nutrition and sun safety. And then finally, we also have a lot in the area of communication, whether it's with healthcare providers, whether it's with coworkers, um, whether it's with loved ones about your cancer experience, because that could be a really hard conversation to have. So it gives people some tools in order to think of different ways to communicate and to come to the doctor prepared with a list of some of the issues that they're facing. And because they're the own expert of their own health, and so many times we forget that we look to the doctor as the expert, but truly we're the own, we're our expert of our own health. And we need to feel empowered to go talk to our doctor and bring up some of the issues that we're facing. I think that's just fantastic that this is a tool that survivors can use. It is absolutely, as you said, at that point of need and helps us all to realize that we are the experts of our health and situations, but perhaps need assistance, feeling empowered in that position. So it sounds like through Springboard Beyond Cancer, we're providing tools that survivors can use to have difficult conversations, to make decisions, and to really take control of their situation. So I think this is just really fantastic. I I want to just kind of pivot a little bit to think about where we are as not only an organization, um, but just as a community that's invested in cancer, because this is a tough time. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's always a challenging time to be a cancer patient. Um, I think right now we are we are facing different challenges. And I'm, I'm wondering if our current situation in the midst of COVID-19 has changed your thoughts about either personalized cancer survivorship or how and when and why survivors might use tools like this, like Springboard Beyond Cancer. Yes, COVID-19, this pandemic is, is giving us a natural experiment <laughs> where there has been a very quick shift to telemedicine and I think that we have learned so much and we have the potential to learn so much more about who is this working for? And even more importantly, who is this not working for? So if telemedicine, if, if a survivor does not have to travel, take time off of work, find childcare, travel to wherever they receive treatment, sometimes that's states away. If, if survivors have another option, if telemedicine could be an option, then, then that would be a huge cost savings for, for the patients, for the healthcare system, for so many different pieces of this puzzle, this very complex puzzle. But that is not enough support for certain survivors. And I think that is what is only starting to be realized due to this pandemic but this gives us that opportunity to more quickly recognize who needs additional support that is not receiving that support through telemedicine. And I think if we use that information, we can, we can start to identify who's at higher risk of having um, poor outcomes as survivors and 
I think it really can help drive some of this personalized um, survivorship care modeling that we're doing. Now, it's such an interesting perspective, and we've come full circle a little bit because one of the things that you shared with us early on was your your own personal familial experience with your grandparents who maybe got caught up a little bit in that clog that you shared. And if through the experiences of the data that we will get from tools like Springboard Beyond Cancer, we can help to better understand what are the different resources that different groups need? How can we best serve these populations to help decrease the clog and concentrate on the survivors who really need um, the most elevated levels of care? What a great success that will be. So thank you so much for all you're doing. All right, Graham, before I let you go, I, I think this issue is so timely and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts around social isolation. Is is that something that you're concerned about now or that has been elevated during this pandemic? So social isolation has been an issue for, for many older adults for a long time. And in some ways, I feel like the pandemic has created the opportunity to kind of reduce social isolation for some older adults where there's there's more introduction of technology and and communicating in new ways um, because we're all forced to do that. And, and social isolation is on the uprise in the general population now. So maybe this is helping um, different generations understand some of the struggles we all face and, and is strengthening those intergenerational bonds more. Ah. Brilliantly said. Thank you so much. We are so grateful for all that you do and for the impact that you and your colleagues have in this space and particularly the resources that you're providing for survivors. So take care and um, we'll look forward to hearing more, Corinne. Sounds good. Thank you, Susanna.